Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you all for being here today on this February 28th, 2022. I am Nick Kenoki, the Director of Technology for the Asset Leadership Network, and I am very excited for today's roundtable about infrastructure spending. Uh, before we get underway, I just want to thank ALN patron members, uh, Definitive Logic, Numa System, ABS Quality Evaluations, and ABS Group, as well as our growing list of organizational members. Uh, if you're interested in joining the growing list, please reach out to anyone at the ALN and we can talk more about how we can work together. Uh, and then before we get started with this event, I just want to mention our upcoming events, uh, March 2nd, so Wednesday. We have the start of our Municipal Asset Leadership web series, uh, and we're starting off with how the U.S. can benefit from proven international asset management approaches uh, from Ashe Prabhu of Asidic. And then uh, Thursday, we have Richard Culberson on our Every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern uh, program. And then on March 8th, the Municipal Asset Leadership web series continues and then last event I'll mention right now is March 15th through 16th, our summit on sustainable value creation from infrastructure asset leadership. And with that, I would just say, if you're out there watching, we would love to hear from you. So please send any comments, questions, or feedback to the chat, or use the Q&A function of the Zoom webinar. And Jim Dieter, why don't you start us off with today's event, CEO of the ALM. Great, uh, thanks, Nick. Uh, welcome everybody in attendance and uh, welcome to our panelists today. Uh, one of the uh, great, you know, is it a blessing? Is that the word uh, of the ALN? Is we have just an amazing array of people that uh, get involved and present at our events. And today is certainly a great example of that. Uh, some very different backgrounds and uh, sectors that people work in uh, that we can bring to the table today and try to share some ideas and shed some light on uh, how asset management and asset leadership uh, can or could or does impact the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, so we're gonna start with just a, a brief go round of introductions. And I'm gonna let everyone introduce themselves uh, so I'm Jim Dieter, CEO of the Asset Leadership Network and uh, Asset Management Consultant. Uh, Dan, perhaps, uh, would you like to go, uh, go next? Uh, sure. Thanks, Jim. So my name is Dan Matthews, and I've been uh, involved with federal real estate for about 25 years now. Spent uh, a couple of decades on Capitol Hill on uh, the committee that oversees uh, a lot of federal infrastructure, the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, and specifically the Public Buildings Committee, subcommittee. And then I, I spent just about four years as the commissioner of the Public Building Service at GSA. 
And most recently, I'm now at uh, WeWork, the flexible workspace provider. And is that is that your first uh, public sector job? Have you always been in the government before that? Uh, no, I had a couple of stints in the private sector early in my career, but I, I started on Capitol Hill, left, kept coming back. It's a, it's a place that kind of does that to you. It's a fun place to work, so it keeps drawing you back in. There you go. And I'm pleased to have uh, Sita Egan with us today, who uh, uh, will ask her to introduce herself in a minute. But I can say that uh, she was an attendee at one of our recent events. And I thought, oh, she'd be a great person to get involved in this. And she accepted. So we're <laughs> thrilled to get to know Sita today. So welcome, Sita. Thank you. Um, so my name is Sita Egan. I work with the Bureau of Reclamation. Um, I am part of the Dam Safety and Infrastructure Directorate. Um, and uh, we're based in Denver. So I'm part of the Asset Management Division. Um, and I supervise the Infrastructure Investment and Management Branch, um, which covers capital planning, our asset inventory, our Maximo system, as well as um, title transfer and disposal. Um, and most recently, I've been involved in strategic asset management. So that involves uh, strategic asset management plan, as well as um, asset management training. So I'm happy to participate today. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I have a lot to talk about there. Uh, Jack Kelly? Hi, so I'm Jack Kelly. I'm, uh, I have been a, um, I'm getting some weird feedback here. So, uh, so I've been a member of the ALN for, since 2015, I think. I retired in 2013 from 36 years with the Office of Management and Budget, where I spent a lot of time on various management policies. Uh, and GSA's budget uh, for um, you know most of that time. So basically, uh, most recently, I've been involved in working on an, an international standard that talks about a new international standard that addresses the issue of how public policy and asset management can communicate more effectively together so that public policy is better informed in terms of opportunities to engage asset management. We may talk a little bit about that later. Great, thanks, Jack. Uh, and Chris Roberts, welcome, sir. Good afternoon, Jim, and everyone. Thank you. Um, my name is Chris Roberts. I am a principal with KPMG, which is a professional services, and and I specialise in infrastructure advisory. Have done for the last uh, close to thirty years now, on not just in the US for the last ten years or so, but um, scattered across the globe as well. Um, I'm also the uh, global president, um, sorry, the president of the Institute of Asset Management, um, which is a professional body for asset management professionals. And I'm a, a, board, sec, a board director and secretary for the Global Forum for Asset Management and Maintenance as well. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, and we, uh, Peter Dodgen uh, of the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, had planned to join us, and he may still show up. Uh, Mike is Mike Bordnaro is probably uh, texting him right now to see if he's going to going to be able to make it today. Uh, but that's good; we can move right along. Uh, so uh, we're going to start uh, with just allowing each person, each of the panelists, to share some thoughts. I might share a few app at the end of that of my own. Uh, uh, you know, around this topic of how we can make a success 
from an asset management and asset leadership perspective of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, so I think there's a lot of room to, to get into it. If you, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, it uh, you can just Google IIJA and it'll bring up the thousand whatever pages, uh, 10 pages of contents or more. Uh, and there's a lot in there. <laughs> so uh, I'm always amazed that maybe somebody can give us, Dan or Jack can give us a clue on, on how in the world such a uh, document ever gets put together uh, because just amazing detail as it goes forward. Uh, at any rate, uh, might as well keep the same order if I can remember that. So Dan, I think you were first. Sure, thanks. So um, first off, just let me say, thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I know when I was in government, um, uh, you all used to come by quite a bit when I was on Capitol Hill, uh, which was very useful to, to hear your perspective on, on asset management and, and help educate Congress, because quite frankly, you know, Congress's expertise and their staff expertise is really about moving legislation and policy. It's not about real estate and asset management. And so there's a huge role for, I think, groups like this to really educate Congress. Uh, and when you look at this, this giant bill, um, you, know, you asked, how does a bill like that happen? Well, uh, like my old committee, the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, they've been working on these issues for, for literally 240 years. Uh, one of the very first bills ever to pass Congress was um, to uh, fund the construction of the White House and the Capitol. So public assets, public infrastructure was literally like some of the very first uh, legislation Congress ever passed. They've been working on it ever since. Um, and so they've, they've got a wish list and, and, and these big bills only come around every so often. Um, so they, they literally have things that they've been working on for years and they're looking for a vehicle, a train to, uh, uh, to put it on uh, uh, when, when you have an opportunity like this. So that's really what happened. And you, you literally see in this bill um, all sorts of different issue areas that uh, have been priorities for different members, different, different areas, different committees and whatnot. Um, they just had never really been able to get over the finish line. Uh, and they, they hitched a ride on this train. They're infrastructure related. Um, a lot of things, frankly, weren't infrastructure related that ended up on the, on the bill and, and got passed. But uh, there's some really massive core programs you know, that really break down into uh, your, your, your classic um, federal infrastructure, you know, aviation, rail, uh, uh, surface transportation, highways, uh, ports and waterways and things like that, and even even some money for um, uh, you know buildings, um, and, and every agency uh, got their own little pocket of money for a variety of things. But if, but if there's a theme that sort of goes through that bill, um, it's, it's very much about climate change and, and resilience and sustainability, and I think that's going to be an important part. In, in a way, it it uh, they picked up on the theme from the 2009. Um, our uh, infrastructure bill and carried it forward. And when I look back at that bill and um, particularly within the realm of GSA, which is where I, I had a lot more experience. Uh, and if I think about, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well, and now that they have an opportunity to do it again, what do they think about? And the main thing I would say is there's a huge temptation to take this money and kind of sprinkle it across assets all these different assets. And there's all variety of reasons why, you know, they might be motivated to do that. 
But the, the problem with that approach is, is you end up with assets then that just have a piece of what they need to be recapitalized. And then they're really not fully functional and they have no chance of getting the, the remainder balance of the, uh, the capital that they need to fully recapitalize. I can just think of a variety of buildings, GSA's buildings where they put a green roof on it, but they didn't replace the plumbing, the mechanical, the electrical or the building envelope and the building leaks like crazy, the pipes break and it's bleeding tenants, um, but it's got a great green roof and it could never get the money afterwards um, to finish it. So, uh, but again, there was a desire to kind of sprinkle the money around shovel ready projects. Uh, and that meant things that were ready to go right now, not necessarily a whole building renovation, uh, which, but when they did do whole building renovations, that's really where they saw the biggest bang for the bucks. Um, and, and the real transformation of an asset into uh, uh, not just a sustainable asset, but also a financially viable asset because GSA has a revolving fund. They charge rent, they have to make money in order to, to pay all their expenses. And when they you know, renovated a whole asset, they also improve the financial viability of that asset. And that's a really important thing. They need to look at the, the, the finances of an asset in addition to the capital requirements. Just a couple ideas to think about. <laughs> a couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Wow. Uh, so decision making stood out to me in what you said. Uh, you know, and just sort of thinking about, you know, I think the strength of the ISO 55,000 structured approach is it gives you, uh, it doesn't tell you what to think, but it gives you a structured approach to making decisions like that. And it's, you know, it's uh, it's it's striking that it's so hard to do. You know, it's it's striking. Uh, it but yes. when, when you're in those positions, right? You have a lot of competing um, priorities, uh, yeah. and, um, and and oftentimes, right, you have people, um, political appointees that are in charge of the agencies that might not have that much background in in asset management. Actually, they probably don't. Um, it'd probably be unusual if they did, frankly, and. Uh, and so, um, but they have a lot of pressure to, to, to act quickly. Uh, and, and hopefully in those situations, right, they'll reach out to uh, um, the right type of, of, frankly, outside and internal uh, uh, sources that they have to help, help guide them in that. Um, I, I found it very helpful to, to bring in outside consultants in addition to like the in-house expertise that we had within GSA to bring to bear on, on issues like that when we, you know, got a, a big slug of money for courthouses, for example, was, was what happened when I was there. And uh, there's a lot of money, uh, a lot of uh, desire to, to get it out the door quickly. Um, but that's, that's not always the easiest thing to do. You want to end up with an asset that is, uh, again, financially viable and, and also effective for what it's going to do and a complete project so that you're not, you know, we don't have those situations where you got the green roof, but the rest of the building's still falling apart and then you lose your tenants. Uh, and, and that kind of principle, I think, can apply in a lot of different areas as well, because the needs are so great, um, even with the money that was made available um, for different sectors of infrastructure, uh, what the federal government holds anyways, it probably isn't really close. In GSA's case, it's not close to what they actually need to recapitalize things that they already own. It's, it's crazy we've gotten ourselves in that position that we're in a hole that it's impossible to imagine you know, getting ourselves out of, and we can put, you know, so much money, in, you know, into these various areas, and it's, 
you know, it's only a fraction of the amount that's needed. It's, uh, uh, yeah, and the, I guess you know, the success stories that I've, you know, heard that sound the best to me are organizations that make decisions about where they're going to spend the money before they have the money. And they can take, you know, a little more thoughtful process rather than, a, you know, jump right into it. Okay, good. Well, CETA, uh, your organization obviously is, uh, you know, taking a good, a good uh, jaunt down the road of asset management. How does how does this look from your perspective? Uh, just to follow up on a note that that Dan uh, mentioned was that it is a little more comprehensive, where it's not just focused on the assets. It's not just putting. Um, money in our physical assets, but, um, you know, for reclamation, it, it really is a once in a generation opportunity um, to tackle different, uh, different program areas um, and different issues. Um, so in addition to infrastructure modernization, there's conservation, ecosystem recovery, um, natural resources monitoring, dam safety, rural water, um, and then tribal, tribal water rights settlements. Um, so I have some notes because there's so much in there, but um, I just appreciate the opportunity to address uh, multiple different areas, addressing the water issues that we have. Um, the, the, the bill provides us um, opportunity and resources to mitigate some of those impacts to drought um, and uh, water storage, uh, water recycling use, and, and there's a big influx um, on the water smart. Um, so that, and I know that's a lot of the, um, the things that you hear about in the news from reclamation. Um, but in terms of the actual infrastructure, uh, we were given uh, the opportunity to, uh, over the next five years, uh, $3.2 billion for aging infrastructure um, and an additional 500 million specifically for dam safety modifications. Um, so we've got some pretty big uh, construction projects for dam safety um, that are coming down the line, but um, I think uh, the, the, the funding really allows us to focus on um, all different assets or uh, facets of um, some of the issues that we're facing for aging infrastructures. So um, one important note, at least for the context of our organization, is that we operate our assets um, in partnership um, with uh, operating entities. So um, we own all of the uh, infrastructure, the federal government owns it. Um, but we have agreements and contracts with um, non-federal entities uh, to perform the O&M. Um, so that's been something that we've, um, we've really uh, highlighted is that, the, the, and this is where the asset management aspect comes in, is that it's not just the federal government. We're, we're working in partnership with um, state, federal, or state and local um, entities to, to really take care of our infrastructure. Um, and this funding um, really helps to allow for that uh, over the next couple of years. Um, one of the bigger things um, in terms of asset management is that um, the law created, um, we have this fund that we can, that it provides funding into this um, aging infrastructure account that we're able to, um, that entities are able to apply for the funding um, to help um, address some of these needs. Uh, so we're, and, and that the, the funding, the repayment of that goes back into this fund. Um, which will really help us with the longevity of addressing uh, for, you know, this is really based on the long-term impacts. And, and that's really the game changer for reclamation is that 
we're able to use this account for long-term um, to be able to address um, these needs. And you mentioned, you know, there's so much out there and there's only so much that we can do at any given time. Our capability is something that um, we'll really need to, to focus on, um, on what's ready to go. Somebody mentioned, uh, you know, ARA. Um, so I think uh, this opportunity really gives us time to, to think about um, that, what, what comes next and, and what we're going to tackle um, in addition um, or alongside with our partners. Um, so I think that's uh, the biggest uh, opportunity that we have as Reclamation uh, to be able to, to really tackle a lot of these uh, issues that we've been monitoring and collecting over the last, um, gosh, 14 years. Um, I think we've talked about the, uh, I know it's longer than that, but for in terms of the um, asset management report to Congress that we sent forth uh, in, in 2021, um, which really helped um, kind of guide us in, into where we are today. So I think it's a great opportunity for, for reclamation. Awesome. Yeah, I like the, the, your comment that it, uh, that it allows a longer term view, that it isn't, uh, money necessarily all that needs to be spent, you know, in the next month, year, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, boy, that's sure what we need. We need that long-term view. Uh, Mike, there was a question for Cita. You want to jump in with that? Yeah, so I'll do that. Um, thank you. Um, Cita. One of the things that we're trying to do with this is to raise awareness of the value of a structured approach to asset management. And the fact that you had your asset management plan for 30 years in place is what allowed the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act to take five years of funding and give that to you. So of course, in our ideal world, there would be a requirement for an asset management plan in order to get funding in the legislation. Are you able to kind of uh, require or encourage an asset management plan for these state and local government and contractors that you're working with? Um, so I in terms of the requirements to place on others, we, we do have some oversight for um, through our review programs uh, with our operating entities. Um, and so that's really part of, you know, are they operating our assets to uh, reclamation standards? Um, and, and a lot of them do have, um, are very uh, capable and have adopted the ISO standards. Um, they have their own asset management plans. Um, and, but some of them just have, you know, they're operating reclamation assets versus others that have their own um, inventories um, and, and they're just operating a portion of reclamation assets. But um, I think that's a great point right now. Um, we're focusing on um, at least our approach and our inventory. Um, and then to the extent that we can, um, I mean, we work with them, like I said, in partnership of um, I, I don't know to the extent that we can require them to have an asset management plan, um, but when we uh, when we update um, our our needs, we look at the entire inventory. Um, and I know this isn't getting exactly um, to what you're. Um, well, the uh, fact that you um, said that many of them have their own asset management plans—that is it, right there. That was really encouraging yeah, to hear that. 
Yeah, it's, um, I think we, you know, we work really closely. We, we've had um, lots of different meetings. Some of them are very capable of learning from them um, and uh, trying to leverage um, and use them as best, you know, best practices or um, sharing with other entities of, hey, here's, here's what's going on with this entity here. Um, and, and it really depends on the, the size and the capability of that organization. Um, and it, it varies from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, um, but that's something that we encourage at least at, at the local level at our area regions is um, to really look at what, um, what, what others are doing. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you for that encouraging uh, response. I'm glad to have that information. Okay. Jack, Jack Kelly, how about, uh, how about your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think Dan, Dan hit it right on the head in terms of the biggest challenge that we face with a bill like this. And that is there are so many people who, who are clamoring for their little piece of the pie that the pieces of the pie are all really small. And it's and because there's no requirement for asset management plans and a structured approach to asset management, um, a lot of times it's the squeakiest of the wheels that gets some little dribble of money. And it's not enough to really, e even if they had a good asset management plan and they knew the ideal way to spend the money, that the amount of money they're likely to get is not going to be sufficient. It's just there are too many different little, you know, little bird mouths open for their for their individual crumbs, and so it just it's it, it's it's kind of doomed. It's not doomed, but it's challenged from the start in terms of um, not thinking about that at the beginning and not trying to focus your attention on you know the biggest bang for the buck. It's 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 the most bangs for the buck, and so. It's uh, so that we're structurally challenged in terms of how we even think about putting this money together. And the, and the thing that I that always I find troubling is all the attention is placed on getting the money out on the new money out and not on not only how that not only on not on how that new money is spent, but how's the existing money spent? Because we, we have, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in the base that's spent every single year. And it's just spent in ways that aren't ideal. And so it's so getting getting a critical mass of awareness of asset management. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm delighted that seat is on the on the call because you know Burec is one of the one of the components that um, within the federal government that appreciates asset management. Corps of Engineers is another, WAPA is another, you know, we've the Air Force, we've got these little, these little centers of asset management awareness within agencies. Uh, that are doing really good work. And all of them are kind of struggling, or at least most of the ones I know about are kind of struggling to get a broader adoption within their own organizations of asset management principles throughout the organization. Usually these little centers of excellence, you know, have they have their own spheres of influence, but they don't tend to be, you know, agency-wide. They're just you know they're allowed to do good things within the, the boundaries that they're given. So, so the challenge is, is there's so, there's so many challenges. One is helping people like CETA and, and and the folks in the core and the folks in other agencies that are that have got these little cores of asset management excellence get the acts the principles of asset management brought you know more widely adopted within their agencies and then continuing the work that we in the ALN have been doing to make all people in the, in the federal government aware of what the, what the 
sort of the bright lights are doing. And so encourage more and more people to see the value of asset management and, and adopt it. One of the other points I, I just want to throw in is that it's interesting when you think about, and, and Dan mentioned the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. The Transportation Infrastructure Committee in the, in the transportation area specifically, spe more specifically in the state highway program and in the federal transit programs, have required asset management plans of the grantees that are seeking grant funds. And so there's been this awareness of the importance of asset management and the value of asset management in the transportation world for actually quite some time. And in the water world, there's a, there's a similar, although less robust awareness of it. But it's, it's a couple of things jump out at me. One, you know, we're, we're, we're eager or we're, we don't have any problem at all in the federal government of placing requirements on other levels of government. We have big um, challenges in being willing to place requirements on us that we have to follow. And so that's, that's kind of, um, that just seems to be a, a, an unfortunate fact of life. But I, but I see, you know, I see promising things, out, signs out there. Um, I think there is a growing awareness of the benefits of asset management. We just need to accelerate the growth of that awareness. And, uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, good practices from around the world that we can acquaint U.S. decision makers with. And that's this other little project that I'm, that I'm working on. Yeah, so thanks, Jack. The, uh, you know, it's kind of striking uh, that we, as a, as, a, as a country, we're not really sure where we want to spend the money. And we had no organized approach to doing it. Well, that's that's an overstatement. But from a from a national perspective, you know, we have a, our national asset leadership strategy, which uh, you know has the uh, audacious goal of helping us decide what the national objectives are and what assets we need to reach them. But we are far far from that. You know, there's a general idea of what we need, not not any kind of anything that resembles a plan. Well, no, because it, the political process, and I and I can't, I can't imagine that the United States is unique in this. All political processes are very sensitive to the stakeholders that that seem most important to those processes, and there are just lots of them. And so it's, you know, you're trying to you're trying to satisfy so many different people that. That, you, that it's all about getting the money out to the people. And as Dan pointed out earlier, it's not necessarily getting the money out in a way that helps those people or requires those people to, to think about how they're going to use it in the most productive way. And, and you know, you'll, you'll remember this chat that we had a couple of days ago with, with uh, Peter Kohler from Australia. And he talked about how Australia is at a point, well, first of all, Australia has a national infrastructure plan and its key states in Australia have national have state infrastructure plans that's huge and in the process of developing those plans they had to go through you know they had to connect with all the different stakeholders and get people to say well you know in this particular circumstance transportation needs to get a we've got more challenges in transportation versus water versus broadband versus other things and so it was it was coming up with a, a consensus of the best way to spend the, the limited money that they have to accomplish the objectives of the nation or that state 
And it's, it's, that's the right conversation to have. And also the other point that Peter made is it's really, really important to their, to those, what they call the treasuries, which is like the OMBs of, of those countries that, that the people are thinking about not just the amount of the budget requirement for this year's budget, but what is that annual requirement going to translate into in terms of long-term obligations so that you, you have an idea of just, you know, how big a thing that you've taken on and how long it's going to, it's going to represent that claim on your resources. And we don't, our budget process, at least when I was involved with it, wasn't set up to do that. I mean, we, it's all about what goes into the appropriations bill coming up. It's not, what is the tail that that, that, that this year's decision is going to cause, you know, down, downstream spending, what are the, and, and looking at that, at least from an analytical perspective, and I don't know whether Dan and his folks at, when he was at PBS, if they have a way of doing that, but, um, but that's certainly an important thing to do. I know the Air Force has spent a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah, I just said there certainly is a lot more that could be done. In fact, the last um, about six months that I was there, um, I became frankly increasingly concerned about the owned portfolio of the public building service because of um, uh, the, the in, increasing age of the assets and um, the de deterioration of quality over time and the consistent uh, lack of capital uh, funding availability. So it, would really, it just wasn't possible to move the total own portfolio in the right direction. It's going in the wrong direction. And you really had to pick and choose which assets do you want to, to, to invest in. And, and I think about you know, the infrastructure spending that, that's happened. You know, GSA, uh, BBS was able to get $3.8 billion for uh, land ports of entry. And you think about land ports of entry, right? A pretty specialized asset. You know, it's a border station, um, you know, in Canada and Mexico. Um, all, all sorts of infrastructure involved, not just buildings, but roads and fencing and equipment and other things. And it's fixed, right? It's not moving anywhere, and and it's essential. Um, that's something you have to have. It's pretty specialized, and you and you need to keep it in good working condition. Courthouses, uh, you know, another example of uh, of an asset class in the building space that is pretty unique, pretty specialized. Yes, you, I'm sure, sure you can go, you can do a build a suit lease for a, a courthouse, but uh, you know, because it's such a long term asset, they don't tend to move locations of courts often. Um, it's probably a pretty smart place to, to own it, and but you got to keep it in good working condition, you know. And then there's a whole other set of assets that that public building service has, office buildings that are now, the, uh, the occupancy levels are, are, are really dropping. It's unlikely that the federal employees are gonna come back completely like they were pre-pandemic. And then you have an asset where it has a tremendous capital liability and it doesn't have the demand to fill it anymore. And that's not an asset that should be reinvested in. And, and so that, that whole part of asset management, the whole disposition side of it is a huge area for the federal government. Um, it's like a, you know, a giant attic. You know, for 250 years, the federal government's been you know, buying assets and it's a lot easier to acquire than it is to dispose. And so you just, over time, you, know, you end up with all these things that consume capital and O&M money every year, yet they're marginal at best. Um, they don't really drive the, the mission needs today. 
but you're, but agencies are kind of stuck with them. And in the short term, it's hard to get rid of them. You got to spend some money and they don't want to commit the money to that. So they don't. But over time, it really, really hurts um, kind of that, that asset portfolio because it's such a drain on resources and it spreads the kind of utilization all over the place and no place is, is really being used uh, fully. A real challenge. Thanks, Dan and, and Jack. Well, Chris, you've been very patient. And uh, Chris is uh, unique on the panel uh, uh, in that he has one foot on both sides of the pond. Probably some uh, some other places he has a foot too, if he had more feet. But uh, So uh, what's your perspective on this, uh, Chris? Yeah, thanks, Jim. I mean, uh, number one is I think we should, we should be uh, we should be congratulating the federal government here. You know, this is a, it's an unprecedented bill, but I think also it, it's worth thinking about the fact that th this bill in my mind is the first funding bill that, that really does have at its heart some, some basic asset management principle. Now I know, you know, Jack mentioned before the, the surface transportation bill, so the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act um, a few years ago now had requirements for asset management plans and and all of the subrecipients you know delivered on that and we've seen lots of variance in the quality of those plans of course in terms of those who've paid lip service to it and those who've actually used it as an opportunity to improve their asset management practices but i think with with ija what we've seen here is a is a bill that really focuses on some on some value drivers for infrastructure it focuses on how do we make both regions and the nation as a whole more competitive. So it's thinking about that sort of economic value. It's thinking about the societal value through um, well-being, through equity. You know, that's a very important consideration within IGA. Um, and then as Sita said before, it's also that long-term value. So we've now got an increased focus on climate res resilience, on sustainability, hugely important, not just because we want to improve the quality of our of our built environment and, and our natural surroundings, but we also need that in order to be more competitive on the international landscape. I think it's it's also just picking up what Dan said earlier about the the sprinkling of funding across assets. That that of course is going to happen. Um, I'd like to think that we're starting to move away from that a little bit with some of the allocations of funding here. Um, we're certainly seeing investments in assets sort of very specifically almost in their own right. We're seeing investments in systems of assets. I think we're also somewhat uniquely, maybe for the first time, starting to see a need to think about systems of systems. So as we think about the whole EV electric vehicle market, you know, that's not just improving transportation, but that's improving the, the national electricity grid. It's improving communications and everything else that will enable us to manage those, those assets. So we've started to get these asset crossovers, which we've, we've not really seen so much uh, in the past. Um, there's still a lot to do. You know, the, the American Society of Civil Engineers talks about a $2.5 trillion um, backlog infrastructure deficit. Um, that's a little bit more than what we've got in this bill, for sure. Um, there was a report out, uh, I think it was last year, that talked about a $4.5 trillion to convert the U.S. Uh, energy uh, grid. I mean, that's, again, a huge number. Um, and I think just to pick up on another comment that Dan said earlier, um, you know, we talk about shovel-ready projects all the time, and that's what gets people 
back to work, gets people busy, starts to have a positive impact on the economy, of course. Um, but this bill in particular, given the size of it, given the longevity of it, we need to be thinking not just about shovel ready, but planning ready projects. We need those planning ready projects to, to continue that sustained pull out of any <clears throat> economic depression we're in. And then using that to really sort of guide the light of where we go next. And I think at the heart of that, to really make that successful, to really ensure that what we're investing in meets those value drivers I mentioned before, but we're, we've got a very clear plan for how we do that efficiently. We really should be thinking more closely about how we adopt asset management, not just in the individual departments, as, uh, as Jack said, but more so on a on a you know state and national level, building in those infrastructure plans, very much so at a, at a, at a state, as I said, a state and national level. So, so Chris, uh, and I don't, I don't know what all you're you're working on in your new position, but I know you had a lot of uh, of experience with rail. Uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on what different outcomes are we going to see uh, with this infusion of, of new capital? Um, well, without, without sort of going project by project, I mean, I think you've got right now this, uh, I think Jack mentioned it before, no, maybe it was Dan, you've got this very interesting dilemma right now, it's just what are we going to be using assets for in the future? Um, when you think about all of the property, the real estate that we've got scattered around the country, when you think about all of those transit systems providing commuter services into, into those um, commercial real estate, are we going to need those same requirements? Now, I'm not saying that should, should um, deter us from investing in transit and rail. I think actually quite the opposite. I think we still need to enforce, um, uh, reinforce rather, investments in transit and rail because it, it, it has such a positive impact on the, on the equity um, of any sort of community or society that those systems serve. So I think that's very important. Um, I think what we'll start to see is areas of, of the networks that, that we've we've all complained about maybe in the past, starting to see some revitalization, starting to see some improvements. Um, and I think, you know, it starts to create some new opportunities for, you know, shorter term, uh, sorry, shorter distance mobility. Um, we're seeing sort of changes in, in air usage, you know, across the board, there's going to be changes to how we, interface with assets. And that is something which I think, as I said, needs careful consideration um, as we move into this. And of course, going back to my, my last comment, just there, um, that system of systems approach is something which is really what we need to be focused on through this bill, where we're investing, not just in piecemeal, piecemeal fixes across a network, but really making those networks a lot more robust by thinking about the other assets that they connect to, um, whether it's electricity or whatever else it may be. That's great. Uh, I have a question for Sita, but uh, we're going to ask, I think Bob Leach is is, uh, is on the call, and we're going to ask Bob if he's interested in joining the panel uh, and uh, share some of his background with Army Corps of Engineers and his current work with Wolpert. Uh, so if you want to do that, uh, Bob, just uh, let Mike know, and he'll or Nick, and he'll promote you. But see this. So 
how does your organization decide where to spend the money? What are its priorities? And you know, how's sure. that going to address the future and all those hard questions? Um, and I, I think uh, I appreciate the point that Chris made about planning because that's going to be key as to, to for the sustainment of the funding um, to make sure that um, you know we have a lot of the projects that are um, ready to go. But how do we keep things and keep it going? Um, I can't remember who mentioned the, this asset management report to Congress at, um, in 21. Uh, that's the process to collect that data that we've been improving um, over the last uh, several years uh, just to, to prepare for that, um, that reporting. Um, but as part of that, we, we categorize all of our activities. So we identify those needs over the next 30 years, and they have um, a category of relative importance that we apply to it. Which, um, which have risk as kind of the, the main driver, but also benefits to really allow for some of the, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the return on investment of the, the activity, as well as uh, the mission enhancement. How much um, is this really gonna, above and beyond our mission um, to deliver water and power, what else is that gonna um, uh, provide us additional safety, uh, water conservation, um, a lot of those things to help us guide at least, um, you know, where that fits in terms of um, a power, dam safety, uh, water investment. So um, across the difference, uh, what, what uh, Army Corps would consider maybe a business line, um, the, the, that's what we, uh, that list um, provides for us, at least as a first cut um, to understand where we are in terms of um, where that activity fits from importance. And then depending on the time we apply different uh, criteria um, to help make those decisions. But to the extent that we can have um, the, the consistent methodology, you know, that's important uh, for asset management, you know, documentation, consistent process. Um, that's what we were really instilling right now um, it, for, for, for this funding, for, uh, collecting our needs um, over the next 30 years. So that's something that we're, we worked really hard on, um, and um, it's you know, provided us with the benefit of in the tune of three point two billion dollars. So we're really excited to um, get working on it, but understand that you know to to make sure that it provides value um, that we can we can um, get those projects accomplished. Um, though that's kind of the, the starting point that we have um, as. In, in, as, far as, the, as far as the decision-making goes to where, to where it gets funded. Um, so that's just our, our starter there. Uh, thank you. The, uh, it's many of us, you know, all of us, it's sometimes referred to asset management as a risk management activity. Mm -hmm. And people in the end of risk management, you know, have this uh, esoteric understanding of risk, including opportunity, which is, not, not necessarily obvious or not necessarily the language it's used to me. And it was a big focus of mine in the original work on 55,000 was when we talked about risk, we always talked about opportunity as well. And I think, you know, it really highlights the value aspect of asset management to be able to say, uh, not just we're gonna keep it from losing money, but we're, how do we address the future needs uh, and desires of our country. So thank you. Well, well, Bob Leach, welcome. 
How are you today? I'm good. This has been really interesting. Thank you. Well, any uh, any thoughts you'd like to share as uh, coming? Oh boy, <laughs> lots. <laughs> um, I, this has been really, really, really good. I think everybody's been kind of echoing um, some clear themes, obviously, along the lines of asset management. Um, I, I have to say, having spent 20, almost 30 years with the Corps of Engineers, the last 12 was running their asset management program. Uh, and of course, their civil work side of things is, uh, you know, quarter trillion dollars worth of built infrastructure that doesn't really fit into any clean box like buildings and things like that. And uh, CETA knows what I'm talking about. And you have these weird things like dams. It's kind of hard to describe them. And FCI doesn't really help in that regard. So things like risk are really, really important to be able to have that. Um, so I'm, I was really happy to see the IAJ funding come out finally after a lot of talk over a lot of years about, hey, we need to fix things, you know, and stop these bridges falling down all over the place. Um, and there's clear needs out there, but it, and it comes, it's really not just aging infrastructure. That's a pet peeve of mine. It's really a decline in performance due to either degradation or what other thing like that. I mean, people start talking about aging stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm aging. What do you mean? What are you really saying? <laughs> so... Um, I, I like the, to, the emphasis from asset management of really a clarity of thinking about that because it really comes back to performance and how, what, are you, what are you describing with that performance? And my experience with civil works is that, uh, and even now with clients working for Wolpert, is that people don't really have clarity about performance. And so in lieu of that, they use dollars to assume that we spent a million dollars, therefore we got a million dollars worth of value. You know, which may or may not be true, but if you're not actually measuring performance, if you can't, then it's hard to do. On the other hand, government is has to be inefficient. They're doing things, they're providing things, availability and reliability that a normal organization perhaps wouldn't. So there's some inefficiencies, I think, that are allowable for a government in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but in that's what I really was disappointed to not see in the IIJA, and I'm not blaming anybody for this because I don't think the conversation is elevated to this point yet. But there really wasn't any sense of prioritization. There's no clear national strategy for infrastructure in the U.S. And I wish there was because, you know, what's the most important thing? We don't know. How long are these things supposed to last? We don't know. So in lieu of actually having a national infrastructure strategy, it appears to me that the national infrastructure strategy is throw a whole bunch of money at the problem, build a whole bunch of stuff and run it into the ground and then do it again. So. And if that's the case, that's fine. Let's just state that up front. If that's the way we're going to play the game, but if we could do better, then okay, let's do better. And and I think it was in the IAJA that actually stated, we're going to give this money to these agencies and you agencies, you go out and you prioritize it, which is a great thing to do. They're pretty good at doing that. But then you're going to have 47 different number one projects in the country. So who decides what the most important thing is if, if funding becomes tight? So this gets back to performance. This gets back to what's the expected life cycle. Is there adequate funding to sustain these things in the future? Um, those are issues that I would like to see brought to the forward. I think this is a great step in the right direction. I'm really encouraged that the conversation about asset management in general and ISO 55000 has grown to the point where a number of um, municipal governments, a number of organizations, utilities, they're all reaching out and looking to improve in this area. And the federal government, I think the conversation has gotten uh, really, really dramatic recently in the last probably five years. Uh, so I I'm very, very encouraged to see this money coming out and these conversations happening now about, okay, we, this is a great shot in the arm, but how do we do the best thing with it going forward? Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was probably quite an info dump, but I've been thinking mm -hmm. this whole time. 
that was awesome. That was <laughs> so so Jack Kelly, uh, you know, uh, you know, working on ISO fifty five thousand eleven about uh, how governments can, uh, you know, think about asset management and uh, your work on the National Asset Leadership Strategy. Do uh, you have any reaction to uh, Bob's comment? No, Bob's just. Thank him for making it. Uh, so the, the thing that's interesting, so what we're trying to do um, in this effort that Jim's mentioning is we're trying to help improve the communications between public policymakers who are making decisions that involve asset investments and, and having them understand the value of reaching out to people with actual asset management expertise whether it's agencies that have got good programs, whether it's people outside of government who bring expertise to the table, but to essentially help raise the level of awareness of asset management principles and approaches within government so that you know, we, do, we do better. And, and I think you know, that's, that's what the, the promise is. And what was interesting in, this, in taking this on from a, an international perspective <laughs> is here learning from other countries how they've done that. And one big difference between the way the US has been approaching asset management and the way a few other countries have is we talk about the term critical infrastructure, but we don't really build in, we don't pay more attention to critical infrastructure from an asset management perspective. And then other countries do. So you've got, a, you've got different countries on within sectors that they can, consider really critical, like the water sector in Japan, um, the energy sector in Europe, I mean, those, and in South America. So people, people in countries that are understanding their national infrastructures from a, um, you know, risk and reward perspective, and what's really critical in their country, are, are making decisions now to, to bring asset management to require asset management to be brought into the sectors they consider of critical national importance. And we, we just, we haven't done that yet. And I think that's, and that's kind of surprising that we haven't. And, you know, we, in this country, we seem to, we seem to, even though we get a lot of crises that you would think would prompt us to action, you know, bridges falling down, killing people and so forth, Texas, the, you know, the electric grid going down, yeah, there are, we're being given many opportunities to understand the importance of good asset management, and it's high time that we took those opportunities and did something about it. All right. Uh, well, I had a question, but I see Chris has his hand up. Let's go to Chris and then see it. Yeah, I just wanted to build off what Jack just said there. I think it's absolutely critical <laughs> that we focus on critical infrastructure, and Jack's right. You know, those countries that have really... Um, had a very national response to the to the state of their assets and are thinking about how they can improve the quality of those critical assets um, are, are the ones which are very competitive on, a, on an international landscape. I think it's also important though that we also focus on social infrastructure. So when you, when you think about the social infrastructure, the hospitals, the education systems, um, those sorts of things, that those are the those are what's going to help us continue to be um, competitive, um, both regionally and, and internationally in the long term. We've we've got to continue to invest in in that, in those assets as well. Um, and and I did just pull up one of the um, questions here. 
And I think it may be just sort of worth pulling that out because it ties into that equity piece. Um, somebody had asked the question about how asset management ties to safety, equity, and resiliency. And I think, you know, you mentioned it before, Jim, about asset management really being around managing risks and opportunities. And I think, you know, at the heart of it, when we think about safety, we can think about both risk and opportunity, the same with resilience, making assets more resilient, making organizations more resilient as well in the light of the pandemic. And of course, with the equity piece, really helping us to target and prioritize and target the investments in assets at a system level so that we're we're driving societal well-being and we're thinking about how we're we're impacting both from an economic point of view as well as from a health and safety point of view um, on the regions which we serve and a good example of that is a, a transit agency I, I was fortunate to work with um, last year who um, had redirected the the um, deployment of electric bus vehicles from a very affluent area which they were serving to a less affluent area because they recognized that it would have a huge impact on the on, on a series of determinants of equity including sort of air quality um, and service reliability so you know two two key determinants there access to jobs healthcare school that sort of thing and i thought that was a brilliant example it really showed some thinking of how they were bringing that into the asset deployment, um, the project deployment and asset deployment thinking um, and how equity was impacting um, right at the sort of tactical end of asset management. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Sita? So I might take a little different approach um, in terms of, I understand the national strategy, but uh, for asset management, but in national, or critical infrastructure, but I think that, you know, giving the money to the agencies and allowing them to prioritize based on their stakeholders, the context of their organizations, I think that's absolutely in line with asset management, especially for us, um, just because the, the like, I, like I mentioned, the capability across um, our uh, operating entities or even um, just the, um, the different project benefits that we offer. Um, so, so I would argue that um, you know there's not not all um, assets are created equal. Not all the project benefits that get delivered are the same. Um, and this goes to that equity. You know, if we if we put in all of the infrastructure into just the dams and the power plants, what about the canals that are um, delivering water to some of these rural areas? Like, I, I think you lose some of that if you just focus on you know, the, the, the big dams. Um, so, so to me, I think absolutely this is where asset management allows us, especially at the local level, um, to, to capture what the needs are um, because it's not, uh, it's not a one size fit all, fits all. Um, so, um, so I would argue that I, I think, um, at least for us, this, this helps us um, to be able to uh, tackle our problems um, or you know, address our issues and work with our partners to figure out what the best solution is because um, the, there's just so much, um, there's just so many different layers that we have to deal with um, to be able to deliver water and it might not be the same. And that's why we're so focused on the, the, the local relationships that we have 
um, to be able to deliver project benefits to all of the American public, not just the, the more populated areas or the areas that have, you know, that are more the most lucrative. Um, so, so to me, I think that, that that's where asset management with our decision-making framework um, that I think that's, you know, that, so that's my response. Um, and, and I think, you know, we've done a great job um, to be able to um, account for some of the, those, those differences and um, just the different working relationships that we have. Um, it's a little tricky the way that we're, we, we, we operate. We're not tricky, I wouldn't say tricky, but um, there's just a lot for us to consider as we, um, for our operations and delivering project benefits. Complicated. Right, right. Jack has two hands up. <laughs> okay, Jack. Thank you, Sita. So Sita makes a, a great point, and that, and it's it's a point that, you know, from from. Let, let me come at it at a different. So put my old OMB, my old retired OMB hat back on, and OMB has got to make decisions about, you know, which different agencies get, how big a slice of the overall pie, and what OMB doesn't do that I'm aware of, unless they've totally changed themselves in the last five years, uh, is bring into that decision-making process the demonstrated competence of the different agencies with respect to asset management. And, and I think that ought to matter. I think, you know, if, if you could, if you have agencies like, like the Bureau of Reclamation, like the Corps of Engineers, like the Air Force, and like a handful of others, and it sounds like PBS has made some progress when Dan was there, um, if, if you have agencies that clearly get the importance of asset management and, and for whom you have confidence that they're going to spend whatever money they get in the way that makes the most sense to their own, to themselves, their stakeholders, the networks that they interact with, all, this, all the kinds of things that Sita that mentioned, and you have confidence that they're going to, good doing, going to do a good job of that, then I would kind of, I would favor, you know, you I would tilt a little bit more. You, your boundaries on how much you can tilt, but I would tilt a little bit more to investing in agencies that have demonstrated competence in how they're going to spend whatever money they get, and agencies that that haven't demonstrated that. You know, they would have to get some money, but I would want I would want to create an incentive system so they understood they would understand that you know if we get our act together like these other folks have maybe we can do better next year or down the line, but, but create like an incentive-based system that says money is gonna follow competence. And so get with the program. Now that's a national asset leadership strategy. Money follows competence. <laughs> I think that's the kind of level we need to deal with. So, so Dan, I've been waiting to ask you another question to, to uh, tilt us a little bit uh, and that's, what can we do? I mean, you have unique perspective having worked on the Hill and in private uh, enterprise and you know more operationally focused at GSA. What uh, I mean, it's clear. You know, if you're running a, a big organization like GSA, you can at least have some opportunity to to steer a bit. But uh, you know, as interested stakeholders and you know, knowledgeable experts uh, and uh, influencers. Uh, what's possible? What can we do? What would, you know, what should we do? What can we do? Yeah, great question, Jim. So, uh, first thing I would say is 
there's just a gargantuan opportunity. I mean, the amount of money that's been made available through this bill is is can really be transformational in some areas if it's applied appropriately. And uh, you know, Congress does tend to, uh, you know, they, they they write a check and then they forget, <laughs> right? They move on to the next thing, um, and uh, uh, and oftentimes doesn't really provide a great framework. A good uh, example of where they have done that over over time, you know, is you all mentioned in the transportation world. So in surface transportation and the highways for, gosh, I mean, I remember I worked on the ICT legislation in 98, where they created metropolitan planning organizations and, and basically states had to put together a, a five-year plan for highways, uh, for their investments in order to, to get funded. Um, and so, you know, Congress in that respect acted like a board of directors of a company, um, you know, in the committee that oversees all that stuff. They, they got pretty educated through the private sector and other stakeholders that came to them about, you know, how do you, how, how do you make this work? How do you prioritize um, limited capital when you're trying to achieve certain outcomes? And they decided we can't figure it all out from DC. We're going to we're going to provide money though. We're going to create this funding system and provide it to the states, but have certain requirements about how they have to plan and and allocate funds around certain purposes. And um, I think about a lot of the other kind of asset heavy organizations in the, in government. Um, that doesn't it doesn't happen to that degree. Uh, there's not as much direction or or purpose. I think oftentimes. Um, given towards uh, the agencies that have to uh, carry it out. I, I think at GSA, that's that's truly the case right now, right? Um, there's some money getting thrown at it, but there's this massive disruptor called the pandemic, <laughs> which has really changed how people use office space. And there's no real direction coming forward as to um, how should these this capital, which is now available, how can that help transform sort of that asset base um, from what exists to what really should, should you know, be most important given how the changes in, in things are being used? And I think about an, another area, electric vehicles, right? That's another area where there's a lot of money um, in this legislation to help kind of jumpstart um, electric vehicle charging. And that's that's a, a pretty complicated thing. I mean, it's a lot more complicated. I think most people realize, and um, you know, I'm not sure the government agencies really have the type of expertise to even even approach it. I mean, I, I think they're you know I really hope that Department of Energy and, and Transportation and others who who have uh, even GSA got a, like five billion dollars <laughs> for for that purpose that they're they're reaching out to. Um, I think private sector expertise for advice and guidance as to how to go about that. So it's transformational. It's not just, you know, putting a bunch of chargers here and there, and, and then there's, there's no real structure in place to ensure that they, they endure or that it even works. Um, and they're not overloading the grid in certain places because they threw a whole bunch of chargers in a bunch of buildings that the, the network really, infrastructure can't really support it. Um, I think they really need some outside support. And, and I hope that, you know, some people are listening on this and they, they turn to you know, a variety of companies that are, are really the best and brightest in this world and help them figure it out. Because it's better to get it right 
and be transformational and just push money out the door quickly and then really not have an enduring impact. I think that's the big risk, right? Because there's so much money, there's gonna be pressure to move it out. Um, Got to do it smartly though. So I go back to uh, my thoughts as you were talking, go back to the interstate highway system. And who could have imagined the impact of the interstate highway system in this country? I'm sure it'd be interesting to go back and research at the time and, and see what they thought that they were gonna do. But it's uh, in ways large and small and diverse. That's impacted every you know human being in the United States and beyond. Uh, remarkable. And, and unleashed uh, you know a, a type of, of, of economic productivity that was probably hard to imagine um, when they were committing to it. And uh, I think there are there are parts of this bill that you know, not quite as large as that, of course, but um, can also be transformational in, in their spaces if, um, if if they if they do it do it do it right. So There's a huge opportunity, I think. Bob, have uh, have have some more thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree completely with what Dan is just saying, and in fact, that's a really good example of the interstate um, highway system. I mean, that started what in the fifties. I mean, look at the national strategy that was behind that. And I don't even think that was completed until the 1990s. Wasn't that the last section built in Colorado or something like that? So yeah, was, very yeah, long term. Talk about life cycle perspective. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And and uh, by the way, I, I don't disagree with what Cedar was saying either. I think the key there is understanding the constituencies, understanding how you define performance carefully. Um, and, and that helps you to define really what's critical. So it's not just the big and fancy stuff. And I would argue too that critical is different than risky necessarily, you know? So there's some subtleties there and that gets to the whole notion of understanding really what we're talking about with asset management. Uh, it helps, I think, in terms of promoting common languages and common understanding and more, I'll say precision, that may not be the right word, but um, better terminology. There, there's a lot of hand-waving, at least in my experience, um, a lot of assumptions. In, in lieu of having answers, it seems like agencies and people tend to make assumptions about things. You know, good things will happen and we'll all look better in the end, that type of thing, um, without actually having a way to, to track those things. And so I, I do think surface transportation is actually a really successful example, but that's something that touches just about every citizen in the US. And so as a result, there is a huge constituency, a lot of states uh, very, very interested in that every state's got a Department of Transportation, you know, not every state has a Department of Hydropower or Energy or something like that. So um, how do you replicate that success appropriately across the spectrum of infrastructure is maybe a way to think about that. Bob, if I could just add real quickly, I think one of the most important things about the uh, surface transportation highway bills is it combined revenues with expenditures. And, and that's probably this, this, the Achilles heel of, of governmental uh, infrastructure is the, the financing stream, the revenue stream. And if, if you don't address that and then have that revenue stream be in proper proportion with the assets, you, you, just, you have a recipe for what most government infrastructure looks like. It's driven into the ground build it and they forget about it. And that's really, um, you know, from, from like Congress's perspective, it's probably one of the most important things that they can do. Um, GSA actually has a revolving fund that's subject to appropriation. And in the last 10 years, the appropriators 
basically take back a billion and a half dollars every year from the revenue stream. And those buildings have been driven into the ground and it's fallen apart relative recently phenomena. But that is probably like, there's one thing I could wave a magic wand and fix mm-hmm. would be that. And, and highways actually have suffered the last probably 15, almost 20 years now because the revenue stream was, was continuously constrained as well. Yeah, uh, well, Chris raised his hand, that's good. So uh, I was just gonna have a question for Chris, but let me say, I have a question for Chris. We'll let Chris say what he wanted to say, uh, but then we'll kind of start to wrap up and give everybody a chance to uh, make some closing comments after, after Chris, but we'll, we'll let Chris have the last, last comments too. So Chris, I was gonna ask you what, uh, you know, if you put, whatever you're gonna say, go ahead. But the, uh, I was also gonna ask with your IAM hat on, uh, yeah. you know, what does this look like? And, you know, how do you see the IAM playing a role in this or if any, and uh, anything along that line? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, so my, I was just gonna add a comment to um, the, the comments that Bob made there about the national highway system. You know, when you look at the national highway system, it's opened up the US, it's, it's, it's the backbone of what we, what we have as a transportation system. And it's not just for, for those of us that enjoy road trips, you know, it, it's, it's freight, it's logistics, it's everything else. I, I think the, the challenge for us today, as we look forwards is, how do we think about what that system should perform at in a decade, in two decades? And I, and I, 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 I look at, um, a good example of that is the, the Baselgate sewage system, which is the sewage system underneath London, the city of London, a sewage system designed to, you know, move move the dirty stuff away from the city to prevent the plague, but was so over-engineered at the time. I mean, it's, the, the, the system is massive. Yeah, it allowed for the growth of, a, of an economy uh, and, and a, a city and a you know, national and an international economy. So, you know, that that is how we have to think about infrastructure today. When we think about some of these very fundamental changes that we're making to infrastructure, roads are not just for driving cars and trucks along anymore. They're also um, highways for, for energy and, and everything else. You know, if we, when we start to think about it like that, we've got to think about what that infrastructure looks like in one, two, three decades, not just one, two, three years. So it's not just patching holes, it's really thinking long-term. That's our challenge. Um, and just, you know, you asked about the, the IAM here. You know, we are a professional body for asset management professionals. We're here to promote the discipline. I think, as I've shared with some of our um, internal communities over the last um, six months or so, um, and I think you know you and I would definitely agree on this. Um, this is our time, really. Now, um, when we think about asset management, we've talked about improving how we maintain and replace asset assets for decades. But that's really managing assets. When we think about asset management, the extracting extraction of value from assets. When we think about how that value is measured in terms of, as I said earlier, the economic, social, and, and long-term value. Um, that's a much harder thing to get your head around, and it requires much broader um, process of thinking. You know, we're not just thinking about one asset; we're thinking about systems of systems, as I said. Um, that's what the IAM is focused on right now. That, that is the committees that we've got in place who are building out guidance and, and 
documents to support, education documents to support on things like the climate emergency plan, things like the circular economy, um, things like the digitalization. How do we fully leverage the opportunities that come with both digitalizing our assets and also using that information to inform decision-making on a very grand scale? Um, and we're also focusing on recognizing that when we talk about critical infrastructure, when we talk about social infrastructure and for that matter, commercial infrastructure, we're not just talking about, this isn't an engineering problem anymore. This requires investors to get involved. It requires economists. It requires um, sociologists. You know, this is, if you've got an ology after your degree title, you should be involved in this now. Um, I was uh, talking to one university um, who has started to introduce an infrastructure course to every class, including theatre, which I thought was fantastic, you know, just to make people aware of this. Um, mm. That's what we need to be doing now. We need to be making people very aware of the fact that their livelihoods, their lives depend on something which we largely forget about until it's broken. And we need to start thinking about it in a very different way. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Lot to think about. So, uh, you know, I know I hate to put on constraints, but if we could go around the room uh, again uh, and just take a minute or two so we don't run, run over too much, uh, you know, and share any final thoughts, conclusions, whatever you'd like to share. And if I can remember, I think we started with Dan, so we'll start with Dan again. I'll keep it brief. I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to be here. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for the for the country with this bill, and uh, uh, look forward to continuing to work with you. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Sita, I just wanted to echo what Dan said. Thank you for the opportunity. The discussion was great. Um, so appreciate uh, the invitation. Thank you, uh, Jack. Now, this has been a great conversation. I really, I really enjoy hearing you know people's different perspectives. And the one thing I'll say about asset management that that still strikes me as surprising in this country is that asset management, from the very first time that I, I first read ISO fifty five thousand, it's like this is just common sense. It's there's a lot of it, and and you you might be able to organize the presentation in a way that that would be easier to digest it all. And you know that's one of my pet peeves. But nonetheless, it, it is a comprehensive set of, of common sense. And this is something that, and people, but they hear this term and they're put off. They think they're, they think they're going to be forced to learn something that they just, they, you know, they're just tired of learning stuff. And so they don't, it's not learning new things. It's organizing things that you know. And most people have enough practical knowledge with, with the day-to-day -day work of asset management and, and I don't mean at the managing asset level, I mean at the organizing, what the organization does to achieve results level, um, that if, if they could just kind of get by that label and say, you know, let me, let, me, let, me, let me dig into this a little bit because there's a lot of people around the world that are excited about it, that think highly of it, that have benefited from it. So I'd, I'd like to, before I just dismiss it out of hand, I wanna find out what, why they're so excited. And I wish, I wish we would see more of that. And, and you know, we in the ALM and the IAM are going to continue to promote that idea. But we need, we need more people to join us. Hey, it's not like there's trillions of dollars involved, right? <laughs> <laughs>
That's crazy when you think about that. Uh, Bob, how about you? Well, I think the uh, this has been a really interesting conversation, and I'm, so I was glad to be able to join up. Um, Thank you. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Uh, so thanks everybody for that. It gets back to something Chris said uh, about value, really, and and elevating that conversation amongst all these federal agencies. I, I still work with a number of federal agencies, and, and uh, when I was with the Corps, we basically started working with more and spreading the spreading the gospel, I guess you might say, like figuring this thing out. And, the interesting thing is, in my experience, these agencies, they, they're not bad at any of this stuff. You know, they've been around for a number of years. They get their job done. 60, 70 percent of its asset management is in place in most cases. It's just fractured. They're not aware of it. They don't speak the same language. They've been isolated for a number of reasons, business reasons and things like that. So really, ISO 55000 really to me, just provides a way to kind of start breaking that down and, and uh, um, identifying those pieces and leveraging that value, really, to understand this is why this thing exists. This is what we're supposed to deliver. And, and that really is one of the key things. One of the things that really attracted me to Pass 55 and then 55,000 was it, it was a tangible way to connect the, the vague strategic objectives, you know, we all want to be better looking, to the day-to-day -day work. And that's a way to, to really start doing that in the businesses, in the agencies, to look at the business processes to do that. And I think this IAJA funding is, is a great opportunity. I think that's been said several times this afternoon to spark that conversation in a really meaningful way. I mean, yes, we're just throwing a bunch of money at infrastructure, but we have the opportunity here to do so much more with that than simply rebuild things, recapitalize things, and really look long-term and start, start the habit the better habit of thinking long term and thinking about value and things like that so this has been really really phenomenal it's nice to see the tribe here <laughs> what a great group of people it uh i am proud that uh in our work to this point on the revision the required revision to iso 55000 that i was uh, you know taking a facilitator leadership role for the principals and there's you know, some additional principles in addition to the four that are in 55,000. Uh, and one of those is integration. And I think the word you just used about that, it's not some foggy concept of like, you know, one IT system or something. It's, it's like, yeah, all these people need to be a part of it. And it needs to be a part of everybody. Uh, I think it's just a really important message. Uh, Chris. Yeah, Jim, thanks. Um, so, uh, look, great conversation, great panel of speakers here. I'm super pleased to be involved with it. I just, I just reiterate what you said and what the other speakers, speakers have said. This is about collaboration and it's about working together and it's about working together across um, departments and organizations and everything else. And I think, you know, here today representing the Institute of Asset Management, working with the Asset Leadership Network. I think we, the two organizations, have a great opportunity to really promote the benefits of asset management to, to state, local, and the national government. And I think we, we really need to, to work hard to do that now. Um, we want to make sure that we're getting the most bang for our book out of, out of the uh, IJA Act. And you know, to do that, we need to be thinking a lot more about the, the asset management that's embedded within there and pulling it out and making sure that people fully understand how to leverage that to, to justify where they need to make investment. So think, thank you for your time, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Chris. I think one of the advantages of, of sessions like this is 
it helps us learn ways to speak more clearly and effectively and be able to communicate it uh, to our broader audience in a way. You know, I've made several notes here today and I'll probably go back and review this and, and write some things down uh, because those simple statements uh, are a big deal. You know, they, they get people involved, they draw people in. Uh, as Jack said, instead of just throwing a word out there like they should know what it is, we need to, you know, we need to make these, these key points. And it's, you know, we just heard, so, you know, several, you know, PowerPoint slides, you know, full of them here today, simple statements of why this makes sense and why it's, uh, well, that's not simple. It's not uh, anything hugely beyond what you're already doing. It's, it's making it work together. Like we work together here today. So uh, thank you all. And uh, I'll turn it back over to Nick. Thanks, Jim. Uh, yeah, what a great roundtable discussion we had here. And I will just close this out by again, thanking our patron members uh, and of course our other organizational members. And as well, mentioning that we have a lot of programs upcoming. Uh, the first in two days, Wednesday, uh, Ashe will talk about how organizations can establish priorities that help better maintain their assets and create more value from them. Uh, and then of course, on Thursday, we have our regular ALN Thursday at three program with Richard Colbertson, and then uh, another municipal asset leadership web series next week uh, about the city of greater Geelong in Australia, uh, all leading up to the March 15th and 16th summit uh, on sustainable value creation from infrastructure asset leadership. So today's discussion was a great uh, you know, thing to precede such a, a summit. So uh, really excited for that event. And thank you all for helping kind of set the tone, set the stage and uh, give us some, I think, real uh, clips, some sound bites that we can use to help promote this conversation and the upcoming events. Uh, thanks everyone for participating. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.